All right, everybody, it's a big show on a Tuesday. First up, we're going to talk about Twitter and Apple having a little uh, Donnie Brook, let's call it. And we're going to deep dive into the duopoly uh, that Google and Apple have in the app stores. And uh, one of the co-founders of Android became a reply guy. And uh, let's talk about the history of the app stores, even a little Steve Jobs clip from the archives. That is just a fun watch. We're also going to talk about in this age of layoffs and rifts and ways to get rid of employees that you just couldn't stop hiring less than a year ago. We're going to talk about Google's headcount, the insane efficiency that is YouTube in terms of revenue per employee and Snapchat sending employees back to the office for four days a week starting next year. Mm, the old gentleman's riff. And then uh, a little crypto craziness talk, BlockFi's bankruptcy, and we pour one out for 11 and the end of crypto bottle service it's going to be a great show stick with us this week in startups is brought to you by mayfair helps venture-backed companies earn four percent on their idle cash automatically no market risk no switching banks required go to get mayfair.com twist to get started today blue ground is revolutionizing the rental game with its global network of designer furnished apartments that can be seamlessly booked for a month, a year, or longer. Get up to $10,000 off your booking with Blueground. Visit promos.thebluegroundcom twist for more info. Feel at home, free to roam with Blueground. And the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub helps all founders build a better startup at a lower cost from day one. Open to anyone with an idea, you'll get up to $150,000 in Azure credits, technical advisory, access to mentors and experts, free dev tools, and so much more. There is no funding requirement and it only takes minutes to join. Sign up today at aka.ms slash this week in startups. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to This Week in Startups. It's Tuesday. How are you doing, Molly? It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday? It's Tuesday. It is, it is just Tuesday. I know it feels like, <laughs> feels like, like second Thursdays. We're like living every day twice here. <laughs> it feels like yeah, second. It feels like we're doing like the fifth show of the week, sixth show of the week, because the news just does not stop. Uh, and uh, we'll just, I, starting out today, I don't know if you saw, there was a little back and forth between uh, my pal Elon and uh, Apple just over uh, Apple's advertising on Twitter, uh, and uh, the App Store. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, tweeted back and forth about this on the Twitter. Elon said Apple is, uh, has also threatened to withhold Twitter from its App Store, but they won't tell us why yada yada. And I just tweeted, Hey, I wonder what I missed. Uh, and put a little Tim because we were on the pod yesterday and Elon responded to me and said, uh, something to the effect of uh, a revolution against censorship in america so yeah there's mm -hmm. a, a back and forth uh about the app store rules and, and who gets into the app store you know we talked about this before putting aside you know elon's my friend and he bought twitter i do think that this is like going to become one of the issues of our time is this duopoly uh in the app store and i i think that apple and this predates elon buying twitter but i have been saying for a couple of years now Apple should allow you to have alternate app stores if you press a button like in your settings like I take ownership of my phone because there is something to be said for the role of the app store uh, in you know vetting 
apps and making it a delightful experience like with your my kids i don't know about how you feel about it i like the fact that the app store is you know doing some sort of vetting process because i don't want them to load spyware or something like that and when i'm on an android phone you get a lot of spyware and weird apps and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but i also would like to be able to load apps on my phone in the same way i do on my desktop which is i can go through the apple app store or windows has an app store or you can just load stuff directly if you want to assume that risk, and there is some risk to it, right? But the interesting thing that happened in this tweet storm was guess who showed up? <laughs> Rich Miner showed up, uh, who, for people who don't know, is one of the co-founders of Android. Yep. And said, yes. it's not so simple. Yeah. Had there been multiple app stores on Android and iOS, it would have been a major point of friction for app distribution and adoption. You would never have had apps or smartphones, for that matter, grow so quickly and app developers would not have been so successful. What would your take on that? Uh, I mean, I think that's true. And also, we have a duopoly in phones that's bad for consumers, like, and that's not new. <laughs> you know, the hardest, the only thing that's hard for me about this conversation is the idea that we're just discovering that at least one person in that Twitter thread is just discovering this now. Yeah. Um, because this is obviously a long-standing and ongoing issue. Amazon has been fighting with Apple about the the 30% take on in-app purchases. Epic, of course, sued Apple over this. It's been a point of contention for, um, I, I think Spotify had a lot to say for a lot of years uh, yeah. about Apple and Netflix and take and it's and Netflix and all of that. And so I think like, yeah, we're in a situation where both of these things are true, actually, that smartphones were brand new that app stores were a reliable discovery and delivery mechanism and that Apple's rules in particular protected consumers and also let developers make a crap ton of money. Like we all remember that particular moment in time in the Bay area where everybody that you talked to was an app developer, like <laughs> every Uber driver, every waiter. It was like how, when you're in LA, everybody's an aspiring actor and writing a screenplay, yeah. but in the Bay Area, everybody was writing an iOS app because you could make yeah. a lot of money that and, way. You know, this so it was like, it's a double-edged sword. And I think it's instructive. And oh, and to confirm your point there, you know, here's Spotify's policy for a long time. Uh, you know, Spotify has just said, listen, you're not going to use, you can make that three times bigger, maybe. Um, uh, if you currently pay for premium with Apple's in-app payment system, it's easy to switch uh, to subscribe uh, direct with us. So they discontinued this. And they're just telling people, hey, cancel, don't go through the store, come to the website, sign up, and then just log in with your credentials. Yeah. This creates unnecessary friction. It does. I understand you why. You still can't buy, you cannot buy a Kindle book on the Amazon app on the iOS. You still can't? You have to go, you still can't, because they were like, no, we're not giving away that 30%. Yeah. And so they, Audible, somehow they came to some agreement. And now Audible, you can order an audio book inside the Audible app. So that changed with the, like a, with the credit, because you do the credit oh. system that you've already paid for somewhere else either through your subscription Thank or having you purchased for it explaining yeah. that to the me. credit I thing buy. is how they get around it oh so you bought I mean, look, I, see, there's ways I have around a, but yes. to the point to our point like yeah there are ways around mm -hmm. apple's 30 percent fee you just tell people you have to sign up and pay on the web right which is kind of lame. you don't have to pay it sure it's lame but you don't have to pay it i mean this is such a weird again this is such a weird feeling because i think it's like a bad faith jihad on the one side and on the other side the duopoly is bad for consumers and like has been for a really long time yeah i mean there is the also the issue of should the app store 
be deciding what let's just widen the discussion here. So yeah, I don't get aggregated. But if you're a publishing platform, medium blogger, Twitter, any other publishing platform where people are publishing their words, does the App Store need to get involved in policing what gets published on those? Uh, and that is a big question, uh, I think. Yeah. And so it's always been the question. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, and, and nobody, it's always been the question. Everything is content. And the people, the reason that people, you know, I mean, Apple is very puritanical, like very, yes. I mean, if no you adults. think about the weird content. media world that we live in, in some ways, it's because of Apple. And there were, somebody was saying the other day, they think Steve Jobs personally wrote the rules about nudity in the app store, like there won't ever be any, you know, he did it, say that. Yeah. And it was never a monopoly before like now apple is to the point in market share where it's not a monopoly technically to do um it is a, it, we live in a duopoly and yeah. it's but when you say duopoly it's essentially a monopoly right two people controlling something one person controlling it it's too few yeah, it's terrible we have it's like, too few we have the same thing with like broadband we have the same thing with health insurance we have the same thing with you know it's it's all like it's all yeah. of a of an anti-competitive piece, no question, and the kind yeah. I have been ranting about for like a decade. Inflation and rates are two of the hottest topics right now. We talk about them every single time we do an all-in podcast, and we talk about them increasingly here on This Week in Startups. Most founders don't know how to leverage this inflation and these increasing rates. Well, let me tell you how. Mayfair, M-A-Y-F-A-I-R. Mayfair helps you earn 4% yield on your idle cash automatically. It takes 10 minutes to set up. It works alongside all your existing banks and it's fully automated. Think about it. You got 10 million in reserves sitting around. You get an extra 400K. What do you do with that? You know what you do with it? You take your team on four offsites a year. You treat them well. You know what you do with it? You put it towards the bottom line. You make your business look even more impressive. I had this happen to me 15, 20 years ago. I was sitting on almost $20 million, but there was no service for this. So I had to do a lot of work. Now you got Mayfair. They do all the work for you. They're going to help you create that high yield cash account powered by Stripe. Your money is moved securely. Nothing to worry about. Funds are held at Evolve Bank and Trust bank that powers companies like mercury and wise okay so you think you can feel pretty safe here right connect your new account to your existing bank then mayfair automatically puts your excess cash to work in a high yield cash account and when you need the cash you can move it back anytime no hassle twist listeners get the five million dollar minimum balance requirement waived for life so you can start experimenting with this even if you only got a half million go to get mayfair.com twist to start earning like a fortune 500 company today g-e-t-m-a-y-f-a-i-r.com slash twist get mayfair.com slash twist yeah and so i think rich makes a really good point here just continuing on and i, yeah. I you know agree that the app stores did help because as i re responded back to him listen yeah people forget how fragmented things were in the early days of apps you had to do a deal with carriers headset manu uh, handset manufacturers and so you would have to get htc nokia to put your app on their phone or verizon or both it was a mishmash of agreements you had to do and it mm -hmm. was essentially like a triopoly i made that word up i i don't <laughs> know that that's exactly a word but the carriers verizon at&t and usually there was like one third one that made up a significant portion of you know like t-mobile i think it kind of switched to was number three but you had to get their permission. People forget this, but that's how you, you had to go to each of them. Uh, so my friend Gordon Gould had created a company called UPOC, 
which was kind of like the original Twitter. It was like an SMS, you know, group chat kind of situation. They had to do deals uh, and they had to pay to get coverage. So the way it worked was you had to go give AT&T and Verizon money up front to allow people to have the app or you paid per install. So I thought it'd be instructive to play the clip of Steve Jobs announcing the app store. People forget, yeah. you know, Steve announced this and he had to sell it. Even Steve Jobs had to sing for his supper. He had to sell developers on doing this. Uh, and so thanks to the exceptional producers here, hardworking and innovative as they are on this week in startups for pulling this clip. The app store is going to be the exclusive way to distribute iPhone applications directly to every iPhone user. Now, developers are going to ask, well, this is great, but what's the deal, right? <laughs> what's the business deal? We think we've got a great business deal for our developers. First of all, the developer picks the price. Pick whatever price you want to sell your app at. When we sell the app through the App Store, the developer gets 70% of the revenues right off the top. We keep 30 to pay for running the App Store. There are no credit card fees for the developer. We take care of all of that. There are no hosting fees for us hosting the app. We take care of all that. There's no marketing fees. The developer gets 70% of the revenues and it's paid monthly. This is the best deal going to distribute applications to mobile platforms. Now, we talk about the 70-30 revenue split, but the developer gets to pick the price. And you know what price a lot of developers are going to pick? Free, right? So when a developer wants to distribute their app for free, there is no charge for free apps at all. There's no charge to the user. And there's no charge to the developer. We're going to pay for everything to get those apps out there for free. The developer and us have the same exact interest, which is to get as many apps out in front of as many iPhone users as possible. All right, Molly, what sticks out to you in this 14-year-old video, 2008? This is from 2008. God. I miss Steve. This is like how I grew up in the tech industry, is watching yeah. Steve Jobs. I mean, literally like one of the mm -hmm. first... My first job in tech media was with a magazine that covered Apple. And one of mm -hmm. my first assignments was an Apple keynote where Steve Jobs unveiled the like new, the iMacs with color, like the Bondi blue one Ooh, and yeah. the iMac sure. TV. Yeah, I cannot get over then and now, like developers clapping at like, why, why would there ever be a charge on a free app? They're just like, oh, wait, my app that I made for free and distributed yeah. on your store to make your platform better? Yeah. You won't charge me to do that? Thank you. Like that cult right. is as strong as ever. It's amazing. And, you know, that is in reaction to the fact, as I mentioned before we played the clip, that you had to pay to get cover, uh, carriers right. to put your app on. So there were right. these gatekeepers. So we went from gatekeepers who were charging even for a free app to come out. Then totally. we moved to a duopoly that did make things better. There was standardization. There was marketing, as he points out, you get to be in there, you get to, you know, people can find you, there's no hosting fees, he pointed that out. They used yeah. to charge you to host your I app, mean, it was right? a freaking great deal, just like the 99 cent song download, like it yes. was the best deal going 100% 14, 14 years ago. And it doesn't mean right, it's sort of like, just because it was a great deal, then doesn't mean it's a great deal now, especially when yes. there are far fewer options. I mean, you remember, like five minutes after this Windows phone came out, we thought there might mm -hmm. actually be another platform, BlackBerry still existed, it was not yep. a duopoly then. there was competition. Yes. And now and here we are. there is not like the entire mm -hmm. history 
of yeah. American capitalism as we experience it right now is anti-competition. Yeah, and this is where, you know, I think Lena Khan can be, um, you know, sh since she does have strong feelings about future competition, we talked about this on the show, she wants to preserve future competition, we want to preserve future competition in the world. You know, I, I was trying to think of where I see the most anti-competitive behavior. For me, it's App Store is number one. And then I felt like some of these house brands, um, you know, that Amazon was doing was kind of felt icky to me the way they were doing it because they had people's information, data, and they could, you know, then do yeah. that. And even the social networks, I think, you know, owning people's data or graphs and not having an ad free version available where you could pay to opt out of advertising. Some of these things felt like sort of and a uh, Google search, putting ads above and organic stuff above search, which Google has faced headwinds in Europe about. So I feel like it's a small subset of things, but they're very hard to go after Google, very hard to go after Apple. It's easier to go after like acquisitions like Linacon has done. The other thing well, yeah, I'll point out. But go because ahead, within the confines of existing um, monopoly law, like Apple's not, its behavior might be anti-competitive, but it's not illegal because right. it's not an illegal monopoly. And so this is where mm. like, there's some stuff that Lena Khan may or may not be able to do. And I hate like making it all about this one human, uh, you know, like you should go after this instead of this and whatever. There is still the confines of the law and existing regulation. And what really needs to happen actually is that Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar bill that sort of has been languishing, but might actually get pushed through in the next legislative session, which would actually, because we have to, like, if we don't figure out how to define antitrust to include a situation where there's a duopoly and both players engage in anti-competitive behavior, because right now the law doesn't cover that. It just flat out doesn't. I think you just made an excellent point that I was sort of about to, to punch up, which is, why don't we just change monopoly law to duopoly? And we say, if any two parties have the majority of a space, that is something that should be treated as acute. Uh, that should be something that's treated the same as a monopoly or close to it. And so if you're in a duopoly, Windows, Mac, Android, uh, and um, iOS, Facebook's collection of social media assets, and TikTok, maybe, if you put those two together, is it a duopoly? I'd have to look at the numbers, because uh, you have so many other social networks. Sorry, but I think US and Oh, oh, sorry, you were on social networks. I was looking up the Amy Klobuchar bill. Well, no, AWS plus Google plus Cloud plus Azure. Microsoft. I, yeah. yeah, I wonder if Google's AW like the far third. I think AWS yeah. and Azure are considered effectively a duopoly. And then Maybe. Google's sort of a On a percentage third. basis, I wonder what percentage of cloud hosting they are. I think actually they're probably combined less than 60, 70%. So it's Google probably, or if you put the two together, do they equal 80%, 85%, let's say. If you put the top two players together, do they hit 85%? If you have any one player, are they more than 75%? That's where mm -hmm. I would put it as like, this is having an impact. If you look at search, Google clearly has over 75% in almost every market. And if you look at cloud computing, it probably doesn't equal 85%. If you look at handset manufacturers, it definitely is 90%, 95%, maybe 95% Android plus uh ios a couple of other notes about this uh presentation how charming is it that it looks like it's being done in the marriott and i know he, there's like 50 people in the audience <laughs> it's like, like a row people. it's like 10 people <laughs> and steve is 
like, and it's a one camera shoot. I don't know if you noticed that, but like, oh yeah, they they're like moving the camera to follow Steve, and they're like, Steve, no, stay behind the podium. He's like, f that, I'm not staying behind the podium. Which is so I'm weird. gonna like, wander. That was, that was the age of like big fancy presentations. It must have just been like kind of a small developer thing. I think this that, is kind of when pre WWDC. Maybe like yeah, you would and have it, the big consumer shows yes. right announced that because the iPhone had been announced mm. the prior year, so I that developer so community like barely even existed then. It probably was fifty people yeah. developing yeah. for iOS. That's Actually, crazy. just got a note from our exceptional producers: uh, AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud are sixty-six percent of the cloud computing market together. Oh, all three so, together. Okay, all three mm -hmm. together. Yeah. See, I think it's pretty fragmented. There's Oracle. Yeah, there still yeah. is some. Yeah. There's Alibaba a long tail of one, two, three percent players, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, it could become. And so it's something to monitor, right? And there's there's probably things like, yes, to duopoly 100 percent every time. I mean, the duopoly is it's a stranglehold. There's no doubt about it. But there are also potentially regulations and new laws that could be introduced that actually impact behavior as opposed to market size right and that's the question is like is your behavior anti-competitive and harmful yes. potentially regardless of your market share or even if your market yeah. share i think apple you know in the u.s is like 56 percent. we decided but it still should I, I just cannot help but find it ironic that for years and years and years and years and years journalists have been saying this and privacy advocates and you know like sorry but uh elizabeth warren and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, some folks in the tech industry care about this industry yeah. that they I mean, it definitely about is And I'm like, hmm. Remote work is here to stay. We all know that. And I'm sure a ton of you are listening right now and you've gone fully remote. And a lot of remote workers love living that digital nomad lifestyle. Don't I know it? You see me during ski season. I'm out there doing the... Uh, executive CEO, a little uh, 90 minutes of skiing in the afternoon, skip lunch, eat it at your desk. Well, if the nomad life is for you, and I know it is, you need to check out Blue Ground. Blue Ground is a network of stunning, stunning, move-in ready apartments that come with everything you need to work remotely. They manage over 10,000 apartments across 15 countries and 27 cities in the US but also Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Here are some of the cities they're available in. Copenhagen, Barcelona, Madrid, London, Dubai, Paris, Vienna, waits for you, Berlin, New York City, LA, Austin, Miami, and so many more. And they're super flexible. You wanna stay for a month? No problem. A year? No problem. A couple years? No problem. A quarter? You pick, you're in control, and you can browse all the available apartments in real time. Book in a few clicks, and you move in as quickly as the next day. You can manage your entire stay and enjoy a nice concierge-style service through their guest app. Yes, if you need something, they're there to help you. They make apartments available where you want, when you want, and on the terms you want with Blue Ground. Feel at home and be free to roam. And here's the best part. Get up to $1,000 off your booking at promos.thebluegroundcom slash twist. That's promos.thebluegroundcom slash twist for up to $1,000 off. The issue is becoming for venture capitalists, I think an issue as well for investors, because it does feel like the app store now is a blocker for startups specifically. Don't forget, though, you know, Tumblr got removed at some point from the app store. Uh, in 2018, I think they had some uh, CSAM issues, uh, to use the acronym, you can look it up yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, Sorry, I had I CSAM issues. Out. Yeah, I, I don't want to say yeah. the actual words no. here, um, but they and so the App Store 
is like a backstop against companies not doing their own policing, or at least Apple's is, uh, where they will, because I think they also took down Parler at some point, uh, the, you know, um, right wing yeah. MAGA yeah, kind of I platform. Think, yeah. Yeah. And so this is where it's going to get super interesting. At what part of the stack are you immune or it's not your responsibility? It's, you know, the other person's responsibility. I think Google probably takes a lighter hand with this. And Steve Jobs' legacy was always to take a, a more firm hand. Absolutely. Some of I mean, things. they were the original content moderators. Like in many, many ways, Apple is the original content moderators. They were like, we will control and it is their legacy of control. They're like, we will control every single aspect yeah. of your experience here and you will love it. You will love it. Um, and for a long I time, think, people did. Yeah. They, Google removed Parler following the January 6th capital attacks. Um, that was, I yeah. I think Apple did. Did they? I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. they got booted everywhere. And so this is like, I think, going to be one of the discussions as well. There's. They did, yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, and so this is, I think, going to become one of the, there, there's, there's parallel issues here. One is like the VIG is 30% too mu much. Two is consumer choice. Is this reducing consumer choice? And then three is, hey, like, are you policing your platform enough for our taste? And then this is going to require, I think, given the political environment we're in, think we're going to have to have more transparency of exactly why you know a social platform is banning people or not banning people and then the app platforms being more transparent here's why we're blocking this uh you know social platform or publishing platform and then those two things are going to i mean we're just going to have to have a little more disclosure of why people are doing what they're doing and then um you know, at least consumers can understand like, okay, Tumblr allows adult content at, you know, the app store bans it, but Google Play allows it or, you know, it's allowed in certain app stores or not just a little more transparency would be good here. And then appeals process as well. Um, I think that exists, doesn't it? Apple also, we should know that Apple did under some of this pressure last year change it's cut to 15% for developers who make less than a million dollars in annual sales per year. Yeah, I think you have to apply for that. Yeah, um, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, they said that would be the vast majority of iOS app developers. Yeah. Also, the app and store makes crap ton of some money. Like, look, there's stuff, there's stuff that mm. I've been complaining about Apple doing for almost 20 years, right? Like the thing where they charge you for dongles and they use the proprietary standards. And that, I mean, it's very interesting i don't know it, it it's like yeah everything is fine when you're tiny and everybody yep. loves you scale is what you know makes it the problem yeah i mean you you and i think the app stores have been opaque about their choices i think the if something is removed or not approved it should be transparent like they should have just like google is very transparent about when they get subpoenas they have that like web page where you can go see, you know, hey, here's who's asking for information on your user account and stuff like that. Google, uh, just so we read the policy here, all apps on Google Play that feature user generated content, UGC, are required to implement robust moderation practices that prohibit objectionable content, provide an in app system for reporting objectionable UGC. So that's interesting in app, it has to be take actions against 
the UGC where appropriate and remove or block abusive users who violate the app's terms of service. Terms of use under a user policy. So that's not Google's terms of service, but they're saying you have to have a, a policy for abusive users and you have to, I guess, execute on it. And I guess people have to understand that. Um, yeah. Kind of interesting that we're now um, hitting this moment in time, I think, where this is going to become uh, a major issue. It's been interesting to see who um, has skated under the enforcement radar, right? Like you look at all the times that Sundar and Mark Zuckerberg were called before Congress. And it's, yep. it's because their, um, their bad behavior was less welcomed by consumers, right? <laughs> like it, Apple has benefited for a decade of kind of like big tech backlash from having everybody love them. And Microsoft, I think, has benefited from being really boring, even though both of them are engaged in very similar behaviors. And Apple is building up an unbelievable data moat. Like you look at if you look at data as an as an, an antitrust issue, and it is Apple has an incredible data moat that nobody's really talking about. And so it's I think it's actually going to be really interesting to see if Apple is vulnerable at this moment of kind of realization of, of all the various ways that we're being controlled or that these, these companies control our interactions. Yeah. I, I just love the idea. It's a very simple solution that I think so sometimes there are very simple solutions to this, that the justice department, the FTC regulators could just fall back on for consumer choice. And I think these are in the best interest also of the people who have duopolies or monopolies. I've given two very specific examples uh, over the years that still have not been implemented. If I own an iPhone or an Android, an Android, you can do this pretty easily. Uh, having to jailbreak it is lame, right? Like that sucks. Uh, you're, you're, you're constantly then having to wipe your phone, reload it. Uh, you're, you're all of a sudden like you're driving a 1970 Mustang where you have to change the carburetor and spark plugs yourself. Like, you know, now it's like your hobby, right? It's going to be 100 hours a year of this nonsense. Why not just have a button inside your settings that say, I uh, would like to sideload apps, I would like to load apps. And I understand that this breaks my warranty for the software, I don't get to get tech support or whatever. And if I click that button, I'm just assuming some amount of risk, Apple could very easily implement this. So if I want to load the epic games, uh, or you know, Spotify directly or Kindle directly and and work with them directly and just go to, you know, Spotify.com slash iPhone, and it allows me to download the apps directly from them. And it might have features that Apple doesn't agree with, let's say, uh, adult content, right? right? Or more risque, which is content, my right, which is my right, like, if I want to have Tumblr, and Tumblr's got some, you know, stuff on it, or OnlyFans wants to have an app. I don't know if OnlyFans has an app. That's a good question. Uh, or I want to do gambling, right? I want to load yeah. casinos, or I want to load some wallet that, you know, is a crypto wallet or a gambling app. I should I just have the right to do it. The Apple nanny state. Exactly. Just like, let me. Yeah. Let me. And then for Facebook, you know, just having a, I'll pay you $8 a month, $12 a month, whatever it is. Do not track any of my information. Do not save any of my data. The end. Uh, you know, these would be common sense solutions. And I think that's where politicians, if they're listening, could really actually um settle this with duopolies or monopolies 
I also, honestly, I am excited about a possibility where the market solution for this is the mobile web. Remember when the mobile web yes. was going to be how you accessed everything? And then everybody yeah. was like, well, I can get a lot more data from you if I make you download my app. Yeah. And Apple and was like, I can make a lot more money yes. if everybody downloads apps and buys stuff within the app. Like, yeah. literally, we had a, a decentralized yeah. censorship resistant solution for this. Yes. And it yes. was the freaking browser. Yes. And, and some apps reason ruined everything. You know, apps are delightful and faster and snappier than the mobile web, I guess. And so, you know, only because easier. that's just developer attention, yeah. right? Like yeah, it doesn't exactly. have to be that way. It's because they build for app first. Yeah, exactly. Build for the mobile web and then just then keep all your money and let me, you know, I'm just saying. Well, I was well, all for it. HTML5, speaking, let's go. <laughs> uh, speaking up, uh, Google. I, somebody tweeted um, the number of employees per department uh, on um, yeah fr from I think it was an, the information I don't know where they got the data from if it's available and if Google discloses it but I was just shocked in this chart at the small number of people who work inside of YouTube now these numbers here if you look at the chart show each division. So you have like Nest and you have YouTube, you got Android, you got search and assistant that's kind of bundled together. And the number, the headcount basically for each of mm -hmm. those divisions. Now, I'm also told that these numbers, like there might be some centralization of like some YouTube functions might be in the cloud portion of these numbers, right? Right. Um, There's probably some economies of scale that happen like in a multi-platform, yeah. multi-brand, right? Like the data. Yeah, so like, YouTube might not like I'm sure sales and partnerships that covers yes. it all. That's not just like one part. This the, the YouTube sales and partnership numbers and the cloud computing numbers are probably listed under cloud and sales and partnerships, which are right. the biggest numbers here on the chart 50,000 plus people in cloud 30,000 people in sales and partnership. Um, but then only 6,000 people in YouTube. Anyway, if we were to even, you know, double that number, you know, uh, it's still super impressive. Uh, when you look at it, and I, I think we're having this moment in time where people are saying, well, how many people do you actually need to run these divisions and the bloat in tech and uh, I guess a bunch of hedge funds saying, hey, maybe get a little bit smaller and be more profitable in the down market. But I, I just thought YouTube was the standout here for me on the chart. You know, they have 30 billion in revenue in 2022 with around 7,500 direct employees. Um, it's 4 million per employee. If you were to double it's it, if they had other employees, it'd still be 2 million per. Um, but that reminded me of really the goat in all of this. Craigslist had over 1 billion in revenue in 2019 with yep. only 50 employees. So if y'all are looking at how efficiently can a tech company be run, Craigslist is actually the one that people forget about. Now, of course, Craigslist looks the exact same as it did 25 years ago. They have stayed to not. I mean, nope, it's comical. Has not changed it. I don't think, does Craigslist have an app? I don't even think they have an app. They're just like, yeah, no, I think the they web, guys. We're just using the mobile web. 20, I love it. If those numbers are holding, and listen, Craigslist could have more revenue now because it's three years later. It could be 2 billion. It could be 1.5 billion. And they could have double the number of employees. But anyway, if we just take the two numbers we do have and triangulate it, and I've, I've heard these are directionally correct. It's 20 million per employee. I mean, my Lord. The efficiency of this website is just unbelievable.
All right, everybody, I wanted to take a moment to thank our friends at Microsoft. Today, we have Lahini Arunachalam uh, with us. She's a senior director of platform and growth at Microsoft. And she actually created the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about the Founders Hub. Why did you create it? Yeah, so we built Founders Hub based on the feedback from hundreds of founders. We spoke to founders at all stages of their journey. So ones that were just starting out with an idea to those that had actually built successful companies just to better understand what their challenges and pain points were as they were building their businesses. And we found three challenges that kind of rang true regardless of where they were in their journey. The first one was that founders need access to coaching and advice to get to that next milestone. Hmm. The next is that they need to accelerate the time it takes to actually build an MVP or their second product or their next set of features. And of course, founders need capital to actually keep them afloat as they continue to build their companies. And so Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is a digital platform built to help founders with these challenges. Thanks so much, Lahini. If you would like to check it out, go to the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub, and they have no fundraising requirements open to anybody. If you're a founder, they want to they wanna support you. It takes five minutes to apply, and startups can get up to six figures of benefits instantly. Sign up for the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub today at aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. What's interesting about this is that this started, the information story started as a piece about uh, Google dramatically increasing its headcount between 2019 and 2022. And though that chart comparison, I don't know if we can pull that up, but it's pretty astonishing actually, and shows how much uh, Google has been plowing into cloud. Like that bar goes from, I'm looking at the information story right now, like 25,000 employees in 2019 to 52,000 employees by 2022, which makes you wonder if the like revenue, speaking of revenue f- per employee, yeah. has been commensurate. Like they've, they've plowed money and they're trying to catch up with Azure and AWS. Yes. Um, but it does make you wonder if like people alone was the right thing to throw at this. I don't know. Who knows? They're um, still kind know, of we, distant third. We, we, we have a limited amount of information uh, in terms of how these are broken up, but the overall overall trend has been take people oh off God. the market. Craigslist does have an app. Sorry. Yeah. I had no idea. That's I know adorable. they spent years stopping people from, they, they've had a really um, aggressive uh, approach, which I, I don't think is unwarranted, by the way, of not letting people scrape their data. A lot of startups I know will pitch me on like, we made an app, we we scraped this data from here. And I'm like, you're gonna get a letter from Craig Newmark, like, I wouldn't do that. Like, the yeah. second your app becomes popular, you have to respect their terms of service and their data, they don't want it shared, you don't have the right to share it. Uh, and then they, there were many people who created Craigslist apps, you know, to kind of scrape it or wrap it in some ways. This chart of Alphabet and Meta and the total employee accounts are just extraordinary, obviously. And uh, I don't, Google has Google still has not announced a riff, but they have announced performance reviews. Yeah. And Facebook did say they're going to get rid of 10,000 people. So I think these lines will go sideways. If you're looking at them, they're just up and to the right, incredible amount of hiring. I wonder if the right thing to do is ignore Wall Street, let your stock crash and just take all this talent off the market. I mean, if you're honestly, Google and ignore so. uh, to the extent you can, you know, with your, your, your um, yeah, Google said they're going to slow hiring. I wonder if that is the move is to just ignore anybody giving you advice. 
ice and just keep spending because the like thing is crazy. You know, there was a there was a really good piece actually that I saw not that long ago that was basically like you know layoffs are this old our old guard mistake. It was like everybody always does this. Yeah, it was in Bloomberg, um, and it was like everyone always does this when there's a downturn. Yeah, you you lay off to save money, but the thing is that in a downturn, I have been having this exact conversation with a friend of mine who's like a big wig, you know, at a company under a lot of pressure to do a lot of layoffs. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, but we need to build mm. a, we need a new product layer in order to take us into the future. Right. right. And now is the time to do it. Mm. But if we lay everybody off, we are literally not going to have the human capital to be able to do it. So in order, so, and then when we come out of this, we're going to have to hire mm. and restaff. We will have yeah. lost institutional knowledge. Hiring is super expensive. Severance is super expensive. And so yeah. you put yourself in this like weird flywheel of assuming that you must have overhired. And that was a mistake, but you're definitely right to lay off now. That's not a mistake. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. wait a second. <laughs> Maybe yeah. both of these things are some version of a mistake. Yeah, overhiring. Uh, and, you know, as I tweeted the other day, I think this is the we are now in the end of excess and entitlement and ending and going into austerity um, and exceptionalism. Like the, the pressure is now going to be on everybody to perform in a down market. And when I said this, you know, I was very clear. I was talking about VCs, management teams, uh, and founders. Of course, people are saying like, well, what about the employees? You're, you hate the employees. I was actually saying the opposite. Uh, I think if an employee, I don't know how many times I have to say this to how many people. If an employee gets free lunch, who gave them the free lunch? If the employee gets, you know, I don't know, unlimited vacation or whatever, this was something that was created by Google, copied by everybody. It became the management standard. And maybe people went too far with it, you know, and maybe it did create entitlement in the employee class. But this started with VCs, the most entitled group of people in the world. And then founders, also super entitled. Uh, and management teams also super entitled. The entitlement came top down, not bottom up. Employees would have brown bagged it like we all did <laughs> 20 years ago. No, nobody asked for Neiman Ranch sta steaks. Google provided them. I remember this because I went to Google one time and they were like Neiman Ranch steak. And I was like, did I just have that at like a five star Michelin restaurant or what, a two star Michelin restaurant? Like, you have Neiman Ranch steaks? at google it's not the employee's fault this goes this is straight on the heads of management and now you know it's the painful process of reversing some of this snap told staff with 90 days notice uh assume default in person i don't know if you saw that headline mm -hmm. i didn't think that's gonna go 80 percent of the time not great, not great. like how is that gonna go for evan spiegel you know it's i'm i'm doing a uh an event with the aspen institute about work mm. future of work stuff fancy we were, stunning stunning it was pretty stunning i have to admit stunning. i was like oh finally Ooh, fancy, it's not stunning. an aspen or anything but you know it's oh uh, stunning yeah <laughs> oh yes. stunning molly wait a what second have about? you been to the aspen institute and stayed at those no. apartments on their campus no, oh i got invited there that's one year I'm me and nick denton that's why i'm out oh here man friends. the aspen institute that's <laughs> high living i got you know who's part of that the guy who wrote who's the the guy who hates tech who wrote winners take it all anand Anand Gerardagars. Gerardellis. Gerardagars. I feel terrible about this because I, I, I always say it wrong and I always skip an entire syllable. I'll just say Anand I, right now. 
and yes. apologize for I need I to like practice. I like his writing a lot. He just wrote that the whole book about uh, finding common ground. How to oh yeah, people. I got to read that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, my favorite part of his book was he's like, yeah, I was like, a, you know, Aspen Institute fellow flying on billionaires' private jets, and then <laughs> I realized I hated the industry and I blame them. But oh my lord, you go! I, Nick Denton and I did a fireside chat at this Aspen Institute in the summer. Mm -hmm. And I was hanging out. I made friends with all these celebrities. I was hanging out with uh, uh, this woman from the L Word. We, we were everybody staying in these like beautifully designed apartments on campus. They're feeding you, gorgeous. You're walking through the Aspen Woods, man. You got to get in on that. Fingers crossed. Aspen Fingers Institute crossed. grip. Oh, that's why I'm like, mm, that's good living. Aspen that's Institute. That's why I'm good pretty stoked. I'm starting small, and then next. But anyway, the point of that is that the yes. thing is about. Uh, work, making the economy work for everybody, the future of mm. work, you know, it was this whole conversation too about productivity and care work and like flexibility and older workers and all the things that kind of contribute to people leaving the workforce mm. or not working very hard. And it was really funny because it was like, oh yeah, it turns out all the stuff that happened in the pandemic in some cases makes work more accessible for more people, right? Yes. Like you get help, financial help for finding care. You get flexibility which like 70 or 80 percent of workers want some oh, yeah. flexibility right to work from home you get 100 percent uh, want it yeah i mean i mean 100 who, who doesn't want, want flexibility yeah but also uh -huh. like the harvard business review is like yeah no productivity went way up when people worked from home way up well it, they period. couldn't go out at night because of COVID. remember that you weren't allowed to go out and go to a restaurant sure but you also yeah. didn't commute you worked more hours yep. people worked more hours i mean yes I there was nothing else to do and so it'll be interesting to see how that normalizes but now they're starting to be like huh well we brought some people back to the office and put them back in that open floor plan that doesn't work for everybody anybody then their productivity went down so now you see these companies that are attempting to kind of blunt force reverse all of the trends of the past three years in ways that are very likely to lead to employees being like burned out and or less productive or being like, yeah, I don't want to go. <laughs> like, you're, you, I had everything I needed to kick ass at my job. Yeah. And now you're trying to take that all away and also tell yeah. me to work harder. And it's people are like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm I'll tell that. you what's happening here. Not sure. I'll tell you what's happening. Not sure. I don't think that's entitlement. I'll tell you what's happening. He wants to do another riff. He wants to do a loyalty test. He wants to go hardcore. And so he's like, okay, you know what? We're losing. The stock market doesn't believe in my leadership anymore. Maybe I'm sitting courtside at too many Warriors games. I'm not just saying, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even jelly. having fun. Not <laughs> even like, yeah, I mean, he is, uh, yeah, restrained guy. He just guy. has fun on the inside. He screams inside Maybe. his heart. Exactly. But here's the thing he uh, has gotten his ass kicked. By the stock yes. market. The stock market believes he's not, he's asleep at the wheel. They believe he's lost his edge. They don't want to buy his stock. When your stock gets pummeled to this level, at some point, and this is the back channel, I'm going to give you the, the secret back channel with CEOs, board members of these companies, etc. Secret back channel is that now the leadership, the CEOs, I'm going to talk about the CEO class like Evan Spiegel. They, are realizing if they uh, get everybody back to work and they lay off people who in some cases, maybe they don't like working with to begin with, uh, the more they do that, the more their personal net worth goes up. 
So that's how crazy things have changed for CEOs. They were rewarded last year for hiring people and going for growth. This year, they're being rewarded for laying off people, demanding people come back to the office and showing profits. And so, you know, it's, it is the biggest swing I've ever seen in, in the history of tech in terms of yeah. operating philosophies. But he's just doing this um, because if his stock was going up right now, uh, he would not be doing this. But he's got to try something. Just like Zuckerberg finally bent the knee and was like, I'll cut 10,000 people. Fine. I'll bend the knee. That's what the stock market wants. We'll see if Google bends the knee. But, you know, there's uh, ultimately it's like that Bob Dylan song. You got to serve somebody. These CEOs are now realizing like they can't have their stock be on the floor. It's going to affect their personal net worth, it's going to affect morale, uh, and it's going to affect their ability to have cash to invest in products. So, yeah, that's why sucks. he's doing it. Sucks to be the people. Um, yeah, Just like and, it always does. Well, I mean, we, we uh, I think probably the rest of the world, like people, I, this is what I love on uh, certain social networks when these things happen. People are like, oh my God. You know, people who are truck drivers or, you know, work in retail or on a farm or in a factory are like, oh, you have to go back to an office four days a week and eat free food. I'm sorry. You know, this is like the, this is the cultural battle of our time. Important to recognize two things. One, the CEOs created this entitlement. The CEOs created this culture. Full stop. Number two, if their yeah. stock prices weren't collapsed. They wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, they wouldn't change a thing. I have now come to the conclusion that there are three groups of people, Molly, and I have the actual numbers. I have done the analysis. There are three group of pe groups of people. There are people who work harder and better and are more productive from home. There are people who are more productive. There are people who are equally productive, and there are people who are less productive. It turns out, Molly. <laughs> Based on my deep analysis and research. Not everyone is the same. Correct. Yes. This is breaking news. Not everybody's <laughs> the same. And I yeah. actually did the statistics and the numbers came out irrefutable and perfectly round. First time in history. Amazing. 20% of people <laughs> are more effective working from home. Yeah. 20% of people are equally, equally productive at home as in an office mm -hmm. and exactly down to two decimal points 60.00 percent in my very astute analysis uh and detailed are less productive from home 60 percent 60 percent are less productive from home hmm. now i know it's hard to believe because you're to part of the top 20 percent you're <laughs> part of the top 20 percent so you can't imagine I'm just no. I'm just saying. Harvard Business Review came up with exactly the opposite numbers. So during like, the pandemic, now it's now that people can go out in YOLO and go out at night. There is a full sixty point zero 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 one percent. It's a little you know. It's about five zeros. So you start to see the differences. Those people are the ones. The sixty percent. And now, listen. In your company, it might be forty, but uh, you, you can. I'm just looking at it in my analysis. Those are the people ruining it for everybody else. Those 60% who are quiet quitting or overwork, overemployed and working two jobs or doing side hustles or 
effing around so they find out those are the people who are screwing it up for everybody so you have two choices you know we have but two choices one you need to get those people out of the company so the other 40 percent become 100 as a manager or you're going to do the gentleman's riff like evan spiegel is doing and doing default together that's it that's where we've come to remote work don't scale it's too hard to scale that's i think what people are learning so you think 60 percent of people were definitely working nonstop eight hours a day just killing it at the eight office. hours 10 hours oh no day, i don't think that think i don't think were. that Right. I think I'm just it was, saying, I don't think yeah. anything changed. I don't think who's I working mean, eight hours. Eight hours. Half okay, day. there is plenty <laughs> of evidence to show that even at an eight hour workday, if it yeah. say somebody's in the office from nine to six, mm. that they only work four to six hours. Like yes. every organization has hitters and, sit and sitters. So yep. maybe yeah. 60% of people were sitters wherever they're sitting, whether it's on the couch mm. or in the office. But also, it's that 60% kind of number is maybe where people think that you um, don't like the workers so much. Yeah. I'm just saying. I I'm mean, just saying. Just saying. I think a, it is a it's complicated. True. That's every, yeah. that's the world we live in. The power law, like the reason I am drawn to the power law as mm. a principle of investing is yeah. because the power law plays out in life constantly. Constantly. Like constantly. Yeah. Not everybody is equally skilled, has an equal work ethic, has an equal, you know, like there are always, there are outliers in every scenario that you're going to encounter. And that includes work. So, you know, when we I look at the Pareto to principle, give the people like yeah. they assign their worth based on their work ethic. I think they're still probably all equally fine. Well, here's, here's what we're getting to in management in an age of excess. Uh, AKA low interest money flowing. Mm -hmm. uh, people just look at the top line number. Things are going in the same direction. We're not going to worry too much about this. Because um, everything's headed in the right direction. The money's flowing. Stocks going up. Nobody cares. In a down market, everybody does a little self examination. Mm -hmm. And everybody should just remember the 80 20 rule, the power law rule, Pareto principle. In terms of efficiency, yeah, I, I agree. Twenty percent of people doing eighty percent of the work. So what always. happens in always? So what happens in a down market is people look at it and go, okay, you know what? Pareto, uh, uh, Pareto, Pareto principle is true. Great. Let's find out who the eighty percent. If eighty, if twenty percent are doing eighty, or who's the eighty doing twenty? Mm -hmm. Let's fire them, or let's if we're not courageous enough to do the riff, let's force them to come back to the office. Because 57% of people said they would quit their jobs, according to a recent study, if they were forced to come back to the office. It was a yeah. flat job survey. That's I what's happening that, here. I think that's happening. And I think that's the, bro that's the wrong call. Like, if you're going to get rid of people, just get rid of them. And I understand the, the, the I, look, I get it. Like, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a startup CEO. And she was like, I'm kind of freaking stoked that we can finally tell people like, hey, actually, I need you to go ahead and do your job. Like, <laughs> I need you to not talk about, you know, she was like, I'm thrilled that yes. there is a downturn so that I can now. And I was like, mm. I get it. Like it's because yeah. there are hitters and sitters. And then there are people who talk about their feelings all the time at work. And you're like, you know what? It's work. I don't want to, I'm a Gen Xer. Like, I don't want to talk mm. about your feelings. Just do your work. All of that is true. But yeah. then trying to do a riff by getting people to come back to the office means you're going to lose some of your 20 percenters because they have been kicking ass at home and they are mad that you are telling them that they're not. 
And so to happened. me, it's like, you know what? Suck it up and lay him off, Evan, and have fun <laughs> at the basketball game. Well, he, I bet you what he's, what they're doing is always in these situations, there is a little, you know, of course, if you happen to be a hitter and you need additional right. flexibility, right? you know, uh, as Elon says, like, yeah, if your manager takes responsibility for you being a hitter and they put their, you know, uh, name on the line so you can work from home, sure. But it's on the manager then to say, okay, I'll make sure this person is in fact a hitter. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, it's a new era and founders are just not going to be given the ability to run buck wild in terms of spending. They're going to be held accountable, even the billionaire ones, you know, the billionaire class that ruled uh, in this, you know, age of excess are now being held accountable and like, Evan Spiegel's net worth is down what if he's 100% of his net worth's in that company, yeah. 99%. And if that company's down 80%, can you imagine you went from like, being worth 10 billion, and now you're worth 500 million, you're like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, what happened? <laughs> what yeah. happened? You know, like, the guy from Peloton was, I mean, what was what was the original what was it John? Um, was Foley, Foley. John Foley? What was John Foley was probably worth like, Ten billion dollars, and now he's worth like a hundred million dollars. Like I know, like for anybody who's not worth a hundred million dollars, this is like a holy cow! Like hundred million dollars is incredible, sure. But man, you might have you might have taken out five hundred million in margin loans on yeah. your ten billion and thought I'm good five percent of my margin loans. So um, <laughs> now Peter Notabom, one of our noties, now he's selling rugs. Brutal. He's a rug Brutal. salesman. Oh my he's god, a rug salesman! <laughs> you people are savages. <laughs> Just cold as ice. Cold wow. Yeah, now he's yeah, a rug I mean, salesman. Listen, change is hard. Like, change is here and change is hard. I'll tell you what's going to happen. These Nobody stocks are going to pop. I'm going to be J trading this through the holidays <laughs> because I think now, like, everybody has given up that there's any way out of this mess. Yeah. We're in complete capitulation right now. We need to be, honestly, the sooner the better. Sell your Apple. What was it? Was it Buco Capital who was tweeting that? He was like, stop trying to pretend that this is all. Sell it. Sell it. Yeah, sell your Apple so I could buy it. I'd the like to increase to my Apple position. Jay Powell. <laughs> Jay Powell. <laughs> Powell. He's he like, will Powell. not be stopped until you roll over and show that white belly. I'm show not selling it. it. No, I'm not selling my Apple. I'm not selling my Amazon. No, I'm doubling down. I'm not selling um, anything. You don't lose. You haven't lost anything until you sell. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the comeback's coming. Uh, speaking of a comeback that's not coming. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> oh pure boy. capitulation. Oof. All right, Molly, I tried to understand this in our group chat. I know BlockFi filed for bankruptcy. I know Sam Bankman fraud. I mean, Freed. Um, good is one. Sam ah, Bankman did fraud. you make that up? Amazing. No, I stole it. I like oh. all good things. It's like a Twitter, some <laughs> reply guy. I'm all about the reply guys. I, I've decided I'm going to become a reply guy on Twitter. I'm no longer going to do my own primary tweets. I'm just going to be like reply. dropping replies in. I'm going to be a reply guy. Um, but some reply guy dropped the Sam Bankman fraud. That's funny. Okay. So, Okay. Explain to me this show. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to explain it. What I'm going to do first is read the tweet that I uh, have been okay. referring to the, as the Aruburos tweet. Okay. Aruburos, of course, the snake that eats its own head. So, tweets, ACO I, I was looking 18. that up as you were talking. Aruburos. <laughs> it's a really cool tattoo. It's not a good way to run a business. So, BlockFi is a creditor to FTX that lent to Alameda, that lent to Emergent, 
which is a shell company owned by SBF that bought Robinhood shares that were pledged as collateral to guarantee to BlockFi the loan to FTX that was used to bail out BlockFi itself. Cricket. I need an aspirin. Cricket. <laughs> Cricket. Producer Nick, you got to keep that break in, in the show. All right, hold on. It's really too. All right. So I know there BlockFi is. has declared bankruptcy because apparently none of that snake head eating situation worked out. I just want to. Okay. I, wait, you need to keep that tweet up for one more second here, just so I can explain how confused. BlockFi is a creditor to FTX. They have a claim against FTX, which has also gone bankrupt. So these are two bankrupt companies. Yep. BlockFi is saying they're a creditor to FTX. FTX lent to Almeida, their sister company, uh, which was a trading firm. Right. That lent to Emergent, which was a shell company. Alameda lent owned, to Emergent, which was a shell okay, company. Okay, Alameda lent to Emergent. Emergent is a shell company owned by SBF. So ah. FBF owns both of these entities, including the sh- all three of these entities. All three. Including the shell. SBF bought Robinhood shares. I remember that. The shares went up. Thank you. He bought like 7, 8% of Robinhood. Mm-hmm. And those were pledged. Those Robinhood shares that SBF bought were pledged as collateral to guarantee BlockFi a loan to FTX. But so FTX Fi- used that loan to bail out BlockFi? Holy crap. Okay, so BlockFi got a loan. Loaned mo- BlockFi loaned money to oh. FTX. And then FTX was like, no problem. We're totally good for this. We put these Robinhood shares up as collateral, which A or one pledging shares as collateral is a dangerous game because turns out the stock market goes both up and down, but okay. And then FTX got this loan from BlockFi and then turned around and used the loan from BlockFi to bail out BlockFi. Okay. Mm. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Sounds good. Sounds so good. anyway, um, BlockFi went bankrupt, not surprisingly. Um, well, you know, I guess. congratulations. And is now to- suing, by the way, Sam Bankman-Fried. That was the headline that, start- that started this whole, led to this tweet, which is the headline is that BlockFi just filed for bankruptcy on Monday and is now suing Sam Bankman-Fried for unpaid collateral. The collateral, of course, being the Robinhood shares. Terrell Luna, Apparently. 3AC. Voyager, Celsius, FTX, and BlockFi, all of these are insolvent and or bankrupt today. All of those a year or two ago were the biggest geniuses in the world. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out, like, you have to wonder where the money is in this. So where did the money go? Now, some of the money never existed because people were saying this money exists in this company, this company, this company, and this company, when it was, in fact, one instance of money. And some of the money was, here is a billion tokens that we value at a dollar each. So there's a billion dollars over here, but only that valuation was based on $10 million in tokens that had been bought. So 990 million of that actually never existed in the world. So there's multiple amounts of money that either were stolen, counted twice, or never existed to begin with because they were paper wealth. I just want to pause for a second and say, though, there was some money. There were there bag holders, money. consumers, you know, investors who actually put cash into these things, venture firms, all number of people bought into this group delusion that these tulips were worth something that they were never worth. There was no core value. 
in the majority of this, the overwhelming majority of it. But I do know where some of the money went. Do tell. Bottle service <laughs> in Miami. Because <laughs> I was in Miami and I was watching some of these crypto kids. I went out with Saks like at the tail end of the, <laughs> remember that moment where we got the vaccines and then like the next 60 days, everybody's like, I got Everyone the vaccine. Crazy. Yep. There's COVID can't transmit. I'm a blocker. I can't ever get COVID because I've had, I'm double vaxxed. <laughs> so Sax and I go pop some bottles. We're hanging out, having a good time. And all these people are coming up to me, giving me glasses of champagne at this hot club in Miami. And I, what do you do? I'm in NFTs. I got a DAO. I got, I got a token offering. I'm a crypto investor. Da, 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 ICO, IPO, blah, blah, blah. I got a marketplace. I got in early on Bitcoin. All of this money, I believe, can be found in the pockets of club promoters <laughs> and bottle service. Mm -hmm. I, I, yep. I don't mean to be uh, sexist here, but waitresses, because I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a bottle service waiter. Um, bottle service servers? I mean, I think they got the money. hardly any women in this industry, so I think we can assume that they were sending out the, the female servers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, one of the quotes in this article about how Miami nightclubs are now feeling the pain they're literally oh, like, oh. In, the, in the cottage industry Sorry. collapse. Wah, wah. Miami nightclubs are hurting Sorry because they became yeah. flooded with people who made all this money off of crypto. There were all these quotes that were just like, yeah, it was all these young men. Uh, here mm. we go. Quote, 95% men young with kind of a nerdy style. You wouldn't be able to tell they had a lot of money if they were just walking around. Is uh, That's according to the former director of Groot Hospitality, Andrea Vermercati, Vermercati, which operates clubs like Live, Story, and Swan. So basically, all these young guys <laughs> roll in with all their crypto money. Oh there was another God. incredible quote that was like, rich people don't usually show you their wallets, their literal wallets. She was like, but I've seen more crypto wallets over the last two years than I, I ever would have. <laughs> people would just be like, check out my crypto wallet. Bring me some Dom. Um, there's I mean, a club bless. called Eleven that's spelled yeah. E one one E V E N. Uh, I think I've never been to it. I have been uh, threatened to be dragged there many times. Every time I go to Miami, people come to Eleven, come to Eleven. I'm like, I, I'm. Let me explain to you. I'm fifty two <laughs> as of yesterday. Fifty. I just say fifty, and then nobody's here. And I say two. Um, that's my new process. Fifty. Two. I like it. I like it. Anyway, there's nothing. That's happening at the club at three, four, or five a.m. That is more interesting to me than sleep. Yes. Full stop. Yeah. God, Full it's stop. such a good place to be at in life. Listen, I have been to the greatest clubs at the peak of many bubbles. You know, like at the end of the millennium, you know, century, whatever. And I was at our Basel last year during all this craziness, and I was talking to Mike Beeple. You know, people, the NFT artist. And I said, oh, listen, yeah, yeah. You're, mm -hmm. you are a real artist. I already forgot all about people, but yeah. People's a real artist who makes real. stunningly beautiful art that people put into NFTs. But he also makes beautiful boxes with the art in it. Like I've seen these things that are gorgeous. I would buy a Beeple and put it on my wall. I'm not an art guy, but I, I would consider buying a Beeple's artist. And he said, hey, well, well, what's your take, Jake Al? I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. I said, 
anybody wants to buy any NFT with you, sell everything you got. One of a thousand, one of 10,000, one of a million, just sell everything as fast as possible. Trees don't grow to the moon. This thing's going to be over soon. Sell everything. This was December of 2021. Mm -hmm. And he said, really? Hold on a second. He brought over somebody who works with me. He said, can you say that one more time to him? And I guess, you know, they were, you know, maybe being, um, I don't want to say precious, but they were being judicious about selling stuff, you know, and holding stuff, like specifically mm -hmm. NFTs. I was like, sell it all. Get it out the door. Get cash. Build up the cash reserves. You're an artist. You can always make more art. You got to Warhol this shit now. Yeah. If they want a Campbell soup, make a hundred, make a thousand. Until they stop wanting Marilyn Monroe, you're making them. Get them out the door and get that cash. Full stop. Anyway. According to the Financial Times, Eleven started accepting cryptocurrency payments. Yeah. And they processed 6 million transactions last year. I yep. hope they sold that crypto on the way. Immediately. Like, as soon as it came in, they just processed it for cash. Um, now they say in the past three months, they've only processed uh, less than 10,000. Down 99%. Uh, like crypto guys are gone. That money is and, gone. Hopefully they stacked cash, those nightclubs. <laughs> Wait till we see the autopsies on these dead carcasses. You know, like when they cut the shark open and they find a license plate in it. Like <laughs> when they cut these things open, man, there is going to be some gnarly stuff in the belly of these defunct dead crypto companies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite so far is FTX's bar tab. I don't know if you saw that. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It turns out that FTX, which is the story gift that never stops giving. Do we have our guys coming on tomorrow? We have the roundtable tomorrow? No. Next no. Thursday? Next week. But we can, Next we week. can call them if you want an emergency. No, no. Let's, let's let it nah, build up. I, I, I can't it. talk about crypto every day of my life. It's just- Exactly. We can let I, it build I up. sound like a get off my lawn guy. But the way the FTX story just keeps giving is mm. unbelievable. Mm. And the latest nugget is just a teeny little nugget. It turns out that FTX- does have a, a big outstanding debt, a fifty thousand dollar debt, which, relatively speaking, not that much. But they, um, <clears throat> it is owed to a Bahama-based Margaritaville. Aww. They, they owe fifty dimes. So wait, you're telling me that it, this kind of is on brand? These guys were on speed, babies, right? I'm they're on speed. Coladas and burgers. They're in a polycube. I mean, if you're on speed playing game, playing League of Legends, you're not going to drink like some Japanese whiskey, you're not drinking wine, you know, from Italy. Not. You're not no, you're drinking pina you're coladas. Pina you're coladas. drinking a strawberry. <laughs> what do they call a strawberry colada? Like, these are the people who order sugar strawberry drinks. Daiquiri. Strawberry. They're ordering <laughs> strawberry daiquiris. It's no offense, Molly. But the polycube yeah, like, is going to play some League of Legends. They're going to get hopped up on some speed patches that their doctors gave them. They're going to smash strawberry margaritas, daiquiris, until their brains are frozen. And then they're going back and they're going to trade some crypto at 2 a.m. Yeah. 50 dimes in- 50 dimes. What is it? What does a daiquiri cost in the Bahamas? This was Six in the, dollars? Uh, this was in the bankruptcy filings. Margarita Bell, anyway. I'm going to say, is probably low on the list of creditors. I'm sorry. Um, you, you know uh, John McDougal from uh, FTX, formerly. You know John McDougal? No, from FTX? Oh, here he is, by the way. This is a video they caught of him last week. He's, he can't afford to go to the club anymore, but he met a girl. <laughs> yeah, at the, uh, game, at the basketball game. That's John McDougal. 
I love this video so much. This video is the greatest thing ever. It's like this, this you know, stunning blonde. She's gorgeous. If you have not, gorgeous. You are not watching this video, first of all, you should be because we look amazing. It's so great. Uh, no, so but great. because this young man at a basketball game is trying to impress this gorgeous young woman with what appears to be his Costco gold card. She's impressed. It's a gold She's card. She's like, oh, what? He said an afternoon ga basketball game. He's like, listen, me and you after the game, we hit Costco. We get the, you know, uh, 12, the, the 24 pack of croissants. I'll also get, uh, they have some really great uh, mozzarella and I'll make us some uh, croissant pizzas. Come back to my place. We'll hit Classy. Costco. <laughs> we'll split the, you know, we'll get the croissants. We cut them in half. We put them in Ziploc bags. You freeze them, half of them, and then the other half you eat. But you got them as backups. This uh, is a thing? Yeah, this is where we're at. This is where this we're is at. This is where we're at, folks, in the cycle. Guys are trying to impress chicks with Costco cars. That's the I mean, point honestly, in the cycle we're at. at least that, we, by we, the way, that's not an from, FTX guy. I made that up. It's not an FTX guy, by it's the not way. It's not an FTX guy. But yes, we've moved from <laughs> showing off the Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> this is how you know we're getting back to fundamentals. Because a bit, yep. your crypto wallet is meaningless, but your Costco gold card... That's get you value. All right, everybody. That's the show for today. That's um, it. That's we a lot it. of show. It's Woo. a lot of show. <sighs> what time is it? Is it uh, 12? Okay, it's 12. All right, everybody. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.